Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Bobby Brown and you're listening to Talking Metal. Welcome to the show, guys. Today's sponsor is Squarespace. Go to TalkingMetal.com, use our link. Go over to Squarespace.com, use our code, all that good stuff. I'm going to tell you about Squarespace three times in this episode. Once at the beginning here, once in the middle, and once at the very end. So please listen to those very important announcements from our sponsor, This is how we make this thing fly here, is with sponsorships. So please support the sponsor. Very important. If you want to support what we do, support our sponsor. What you're hearing behind me right now is a band called In Solitude on Metal Blade. Good stuff. I'm really digging the CD. They sent it over to me. And I'm I'm really loving it. It's one of the albums that I must say that I missed back in 2013 when it came out. So I'm uh, glad to discover it now. Better late than never, right, guys? We got some great guests on today's episode. We have the one, the only Bobby Brown, a model, a rock and roll ex-wife of Janie Lane, uh, ex-fiance of Tommy Lee, a rocker chick, uh, lots of stories in her book, everybody from Leonardo DiCaprio to Kevin Costner to Mark McGrath to Vince Neal to John Karabi to Tommy Lee, all sorts of great stuff in this book. The guy Jay from Orgy, I forgot him, Dave Navarro, oh, the list goes on and on and on and on. If you're a rocker, you need to read this book. If you love rock and roll books like I do, you need to read it. And we also have Jeffrey from MIT. Yeah, that's right. MIT. That's not a band. MIT is a school, as most of you know. And he's going to come on and talk some metal with us. Jeffrey Perlin. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com. Use offer code ROCKON. That's how they're going to know that you're coming from Talking Metal. You got to use that offer code Rock On R O C K space O N all caps. Rock on, guys, and let's rock on in to episode four five seven. God, can you believe that? Four hundred and fifty-seven freaking episodes of Talking Metal. Here we go. We're going to check out a little in solitude. 
and then hit it up with our interviews with Bobby Brown and Jeffrey Perlin.
Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. I'm hanging out at the Silver Spacecraft. Mark is on Skype. How you doing, Mark? I'm yeah. drinking uh, some ginger ale and Gosling Black Seal rum tonight. That is very good. What, I am, what is that, water? Uh, no, no, no. This is gin and tonic. Beef eater uh, gin. Cold gin. gin. You know, my dad's favorite drink, by the way, uh-huh. uh, beef eater gin. Oh, I did, yeah. now I'm he, totally going to get that. Every, every Christmas I buy him a big bottle of beef eater. Yeah, he's uh, been drinking that for years. That gin and tonics. Cool. Wow. I love it. So that's what I had. And uh, the reason I picked Beef Eater is that there's a little store down at the end of the block, and there was a different selection of gins, and I just went for Beef Eater. Little did I know. And now that's going to be my main brand. Very, very cool. So, guys, I want to tell you that we have an insane show tonight. Mark has been insanely busy, as he normally is, doing great interviews for Talking Metal. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, absolutely. You deserve it. And tonight we have two great guests, Bobby Brown. You guys know her from the Cherry Pie video and many other places. She is one of the hottest girls in rock, uh, been around for a long time. Very, very cool. And Jeff Perlin, a professor from MIT. Mark and I are familiar with that because we used to live in Mass. That stands for Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Yeah, Jeffrey is a great guy. He actually works at MIT, and you'll hear in the interview, then he he does this, I guess, he's not technically calling it a class, he's calling it a seminar. And it's a heavy metal seminar that, that is done through the great college, MIT, in, in Massachusetts. And it's the history of heavy metal. I mean, how cool is that, that this MIT as a seminar on the history of heavy metal. That is great for a couple of reasons. One, that any school has a history of heavy metal, but two, that MIT does. I mean, that is like such a prestigious place. And I believe that Tom Schultz of Boston was an MIT graduate. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And he went on to work at Kodak. And right. he developed a, a piece of equipment called the Rockman, right, John? Correct. Which was, was very, like, some of you young guys might not know this, but the Rockman was like kind of like a Walkman, but you plugged into it and you got a great guitar sound right in, in your, your headphones. Correct. And it became so popular that, that some, it was like before any of these things, like where you plug into, what do you, like, what do you call them, John? Like, like a pod or something, a right? A pod, yeah, yeah. Long before the pod. I mean, 20, 30 years before the pod, there was a thing called the Rockman. And, I mean, I knew guitar players who loved the Rockman sound, which you can hear on those original Boston albums, loved it so much that they would actually run a Rockman through, like, a, a half stack. Yeah, absolutely. I used to have, when I joined the group Like It, which you're familiar with, I was required to buy a Rockman rack mount and mine was called a chorus delay I believe and the like it sound was the Rockman sound through a rack mount and I I guarantee guys go back and research some of your favorite guitar players I I guarantee a lot of them were playing through a Rockman rack mount 
But as Mark said, the coolest thing was the regular Rockman. You could just plug a guitar jack into it, put some headphones on, and be playing, you know, and sounding great. And this was, like, as Mark said, 20 years before any of these newfangled things came out. Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned, our other guest is Bobby Brown, who has a new book out. We're going to talk to Bobby about that. It is a great read, guys. It's out on Simon & Schuster, the same label that put out John and Ace's book, No Regrets. Label? Is that what you call it? No. Book company. uh, Publisher, I guess. Yeah, or label. Label. Yeah. Publishing label. And... Wow, it's a great read. I blew through it, and probably I'm I'm a dyslexic, super slow reader. Uh, I blew through this book in like three, four days tops, wow. and it was it was an excellent read. It's gossipy, it's juicy, it in. I believe Bobby. I mean, she says there's some crazy stuff in there, but I, there's something about her that I feel like she doesn't have any reason to lie about it, and right. she puts it out there. Some Very other cool. people may disagree with my opinion on that. One of them being Tommy Lee, who we'll, we'll hear about that in the interview with, with, wow. with Bobby. But uh, it's a great read, and I recommend all you guys go out and pick up Bobby Brown's book, Dirty Rocker Boys, Love and Lust on the Sunset Strip. It is, again, a really fun read, and I definitely recommend you guys check it out. We're going to have it linked through today's show notes on Talking Metal. Let's get into a little hurricane. This is I'm On To You. And the video featured our guest today, Bobby Brown. Hurricanes, I'm on to you. You do these things! 
That was I'm On To You by Hurricane featuring the brothers of Carlos Cavazo and Rudy Sarzo. That's correct. Correct. And the video, of course, featured Bobby Brown. Is Bobby Brown, yeah. More famous for her, of course, Star Search appearance and, of course, the Cherry Pie video. But Bobby is definitely in the Hurricane video. Nice. Uh, David Isaac, our good friend. This guy is like a New York-based guy, John. I know he's hinted that we should meet him for beers some night, and we got to try to make that happen okay. sometime Sounds soon. Good. But he just... Uh, Posted on Facebook. Listen to Talking Metal 455 and 456 today. Both were great episodes. A couple of thoughts on the Ronnie Mancuso interview. Mm. I was never aware of the Beggars and Thieves band. Watched a couple videos on YouTube and ordered the CD. Love, We Come Undone. Number two, somehow, despite pretty extensive hard rock heavy metal knowledge i'd never listened to badlands wow david that's crazy you never listened to badlands wow uh, i'm glad we finally encouraged you to discover one of the greatest hard rock and heavy metal bands of all time uh david goes on again checked out some of the videos on youtube but wait the cds are out of print that's that's interesting you said that david because i noticed that the the first Badlands, actually the first two Badland records are not up on Spotify or iTunes, which I thought was strange. Um, I, I have my first Badlands on cassette, and I still, <laughs> I still listen to it. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's interesting. Number three, what's the deal with Red Dragon, the Red Dragon Cartel Show at Mexicali? That's the club in Teaneck, New Jersey, John. Uh, it looks like the only way to get tickets is to purchase the meet and greet. Mark, is that what you're doing? John uh, mentioned, oh, number four, John mentioned the Cannibal Rat post on Victor's page. I have no idea what he's talking about, John. Can you, yep, hmm. guilty. I laughed when he mentioned it. What does that mean, the Cannibal Rat post? Oh, okay, that's the rat that was attacking my foot that uh, I saw in Manhattan when I had a snake boot. Right. And my theory still is that that rat came out of hiding underground because it thought I was a snake. I swear right. to God, weirder it things have be. happened with astronomy. And that rat was going yeah. crazy, man. I, By the time I came out of shock uh, and got the camera out, the rat had escaped. However, uh, it ran through the legs <laughs> of miscellaneous people. Uh, some people had, like, you know, flip-flops on. It was crazy. Uh, uh, business people were freaking out because I was yelling profane things at the top of my lungs. It was like a, a scene but only right. the type of scene that I could be involved in, and it was a cannibal rat. So, David, thank you for uh, being aware of that, and if you're ever over on 10th Avenue and 42nd, beware, especially if there's a Watch brick sidewalk. Watch out the cannibal rat. Swear to God, that yeah. thing was chomping on my toe. Nice. So what is the deal with the Red Dragon cartel show at Mexicali? I, David, I don't know. Honestly, after last week, I, I told my wife, I said, we got to buy tickets for this because I want to get in. But after le talking with Ronnie last week, he basically said to us, I forget if it was on or off air, that he would hook me up with passes. So right. that's one concert. Like I said, I really, it's like 80% of the time I do buy my tickets, but I, I feel pretty confident. And John, I'm looking for you to back <laughs> yeah, me up no, on this. I think that so. Ronnie will probably hook me up with, and hopefully you and my wife, with yeah. passes for Yeah, that, I think right? he'll hook all three of us up for that. Now, here's what's weird. Like, as you were saying, it's kind of like a restaurant slash bar, right? And not your yeah, typical it is. rock club? Yeah, I saw... I, 
That's true. I saw Eric Kluber and Gypsy Hawk there. Wow. So, who knows? Maybe it's a thing where you just go to the restaurant and you see the gig. But here's the thing. I don't want to tell anybody to do that. What I want to tell people to do is call the place and just say, what the heck do I got to do to get a ticket to get to this gig? Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and I'm, I I would think there would be other ways to get in. It's still kind of early. Maybe ticket general tickets haven't gone on sale. I don't know, David, but uh, we should look into that, you, yeah. John, and myself. And I will say that the drinks are a little pricey at uh, Mexicali. I ordered some some cider, and I for one glass of cider, it was like... 15 bucks oh my god that's a lot of course i had like i had like two or three so it ended up it was a it was a, 50 bucks you know, yeah and then i bought of course eric kluber some drinks too so <laughs> yeah it was a, kind of an expensive night Wait, but um i can see 15 dollars for uh like a martini if you're at an atlantic city casino or a place like scores or something but uh not at a regular restaurant geez for a, like a basically a beer expensive yeah Hey, Anyways, know, let's get into the interview with Bobby Brown. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. And then uh, remind me to tell you a story or just reminisce quickly about a good story that you were part of. Right. Right on. We'll do that right after our interview with Bobby Brown. Here it is. We'll go right into the interview. The one and only Bobby Brown. Hey, this is Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, and on the line we have Bobby Brown. How are you, Bobby? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I just finished your book yesterday. It was a, a great read. It really gives new meaning to the, the words tell all. I, <laughs> I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about the book. It's no holds barred, and I guess I was wondering when I was reading it, were you worried that certain people were going to get upset by what was written in the book? Um, you know what, somewhat, a little bit, you know, I was concerned about <clears throat> some things, like um, when I was writing it, I ran a couple of the things by my daughter first that concerned her father, just to make sure that she wouldn't be upset or offended or whatever, um, and she, so I got her okay before sending um, those chapters off to the publisher. Um, I was concerned that some people might get upset <clears throat> here and there, and they have, but um you know what, I couldn't deny the reader, you know, the truth of, you know, of the story as far as I was concerned. And, you know, clearly it's my life, too, so I have a right to speak about it. So, you know, I, I haven't really, you know, I haven't really responded to their, you know, their being upset about it. Right, right. And you know? Caroline Ryder is the co-writer with you. How does it work? Would you just sit down and, and talk with her, or were you actually sitting down at a computer and typing stuff out? No, yeah, she would, um, there's been times she would come and spend the night even. Um, we would just talk on the phone for hours or it, we would meet in person and just talk. She would just ask me certain questions or, or certain things and then I would just tell her stories that I would remember, remember or, you know, and, and we hit it off so well and she got my, um, she got what I wanted to, uh, convey and how, how, you know, and she got my sense of humor and my personality. So I think that, you know, how she, uh, she heard everything was true to, you know, true to life as far as I was concerned. Right. Interesting. Now, your book goes into a lot more detail about your relationship with Tommy Lee than he ever went into in The Dirt. I was right. wondering what your opinion of The Dirt as a book is. 
Well, I have to say I've never read The Dirt. Um, I have, however, been told or seen, like, you know, the, the phrases, you know, that I'm in or whatever. And also, I wasn't mentioned at all in his other book. Um, like, I am completely omitted um, as a relationship in his second book, I think, uh, Tommy Land. Um, and I have to say I was a little hurt by that or offended. Um, but in the, and in the dirt, his, you know, his, you know, side of the story wasn't exactly how it happened. But, you know, I guess that's everybody's perspective, right? Right. Um, so I didn't say anything about that. But I was definitely a little bit bothered that um, I was completely omitted in the second book because, you know, clearly we had a relationship for over a year so. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I, I found interesting, too, in your book is, you know, after he married Pamela the first time and they divorced, he he would he seemed to come back to you over and over again. Really, that happened numerous times. Yeah, and, um, and, and every time, of course, it was enticing for me to go, but, like, I could never go any further than that because he was the one who caused me the most pain or broke my heart the most, and that was my biggest fear, you know? I couldn't let that happen again, so I could never, ever go through with it, you know? Yeah. Now, back before he married Pamela for the first time, you guys were engaged, and I guess there was some fighting that was happening, and and he stormed off, and a week later, he was married to Pamela. And the way you lay it out in the book, it almost feels, you don't actually say this, but it almost feels like it was like him marrying Pamela was almost like a big fuck you to you. Do you, do you think that that was the case? Um, you know, I don't know that it was premeditated that way. Um, I do, however, know that he did intend to hurt me because he had his friend giving me play-by-plays of everything that they did when they was in Cancun, uh, you know, days that led up to their marriage, to tell me everything that he was doing intentionally, so to hurt me. So that, um, in itself does say in, in one way that, yeah, his intention was to get under my skin or bother me, yeah. Yeah. It's a great read, and I don't want to give too much of the story away to the listeners. I want them to, to check out the book. It is Thank you. Bobby Brown, Dirty Rocker Boys, Love and Lust on the Sunset Strip. I also want to talk to you about the TV show, which I really got into recently when it was uh, airing on Fuse a few months back, The Ex-Wives of Rock. Yeah. Can we expect more episodes of that show? Um, you mean like a third season? Yeah, like a third season, exactly. Yes, we just announced that we got picked up for a third season, and um, which is amazing. And we've already started filming. At, as a matter of fact, I have to film a scene in an hour. Um, and uh, we're super excited about it. I'm not sure about dates, like when, when they're going to be done or when it's going to be airing again. But I can say that not only did they pick us up for 14 episodes, they picked us up for 26 episodes. Oh, cool. So that's amazing. Yeah, so we're super stoked about that. So, yeah, um, and I love doing the show. I mean, it's so fun. You've actually seen it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's good, right? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Lot I of think fun. so, too. Yeah. I think so, too. And will it return to the same station? Fuse is the station I was watching it on. That's a good question. I don't know about that. Like, I'm not sure. I'm assuming so, but I don't know. Right. Okay. They didn't say, but I do know that we are for sure coming back to the Slice Network um, in Canada, for sure. Excellent. Now, a lot of the reality shows that I watch, sometimes I feel like they're they're scripted. I don't always get that vibe 
or I usually don't get that vibe with, with your show. Do you, do you plan stuff out like in advance? Or how does it work? Okay. Um, the show is not scripted whatsoever. Um, what you see between the four of us is genuine camaraderie. We've known each other for 20 years. So, um, and we hang out outside of the show. So it's like whatever transpires that you see in front of you is actually going on in real life. Um, we do, however, um, tell the show, we'll tell the show in advance, like before, what our, what our schedule is. Like, you know, I'll be like, okay, next week I have to do this, this, and this. And then they decipher whether or not, oh, that might be interesting to shoot, or that might not be interesting to shoot. And then, you know, they'll, they'll either shoot it or not. But like, whatever transpires when the camera's rolling, they usually just let us go. You know what I mean? They just have the cameras rolling and we just go, and then they take what they want from it. So, um, that's basically how we do it. I know that other shows do not do it that way. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about your ex-husband's band, Warren. They continue okay. to go out and tour and perform, and, you know, the people are going to see them play live because they want to hear those songs that Janie wrote and made famous. How do you feel about a band like Warrant or any of these other bands that continue to go out there when they've lost many of the key members? You know, um, it's always weird to me because I feel like, you know, yeah, people still want to hear it, but I always feel like it's never quite the same. It's never what it was. And it's, it's just not, I always feel like it's just not the same, you know? So personally for me, I don't prefer that. Or like it, but I mean, you know, I guess some people would, are just such hardcore fans and they still want to continue to hear the music or see that song perform live that they will continue to go. But I feel like if it's not the original group, I don't care to see them, you know? Right. And speaking of a, a band that still does have its four original members, Motley Crue, they recently announced their final tour. Do you believe this actually will be the final tour for them? Yes, I do. I totally do. I think that they, it's been so long that they have been sick of touring together um, that it, it was a long time coming. So absolutely, if they say that this is the last tour, I 100% believe that. Cool. And have you been in touch with Tommy Lee at all in recent months? Um, you know, we would keep in touch up until he's, uh, we were, you know, we were in contact until this year and then, um, I guess after the book was released, um, he wasn't happy about it and um, said that I was, uh, I don't know, can we cuss on the show right now? Sure. Oh, he said um, that I was a, a stupid fucking whore, so, um, and that he was going to sue me. And I was like, wow, um, so much for saying, like, maybe people change, maybe that, you know, maybe, I don't know, anything but that. And I was just like, oh, wow, he hasn't actually done anything legal, but... Um, you know, the truth is, is I'm not lying. So, and I'm the stupid fucking whore when, you know, he, he's, every person has left him for the same reasons and he's even gone to prison, you know, publicly for the same reasons, but I'm the stupid fucking whore. So whatever. I was a little offended by that, but you know, if he doesn't want to be accountable, then that's fine. You know? And you say in the book too, he was originally not happy that, that you and his, his sister were doing the ex-wives of rock show, right? No, not happy at all. He's very unsupportive. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for talking with us today. Okay, okay. Well, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for speaking with us. All right, baby. Thank you. See you. Bye bye.
What you just heard was Cherry Pie by the band Warrant. Of course, a video that helped make Bobby Brown a household name. And the book is great, guys. I really, I really did enjoy reading it. I blew through it. So many great stories, especially if you're, you know, curious about the whole Tommy Lee, Pamela Anderson, Bobby Brown thing. As, as we know from the dirt, you know, Tommy was engaged to Bobby Brown and, and basically one week later was engaged, married to Pamela Anderson. So That's crazy. Bobby goes into the story a little more intensely in her book. And cra- crazy news, actually. I think that's breaking news. Tommy has threatened to sue Bobby Brown over the book. Wow. What a crazy thing. Uh, what a scenario. Uh, great interview, Mark, as always. And uh, really enjoy these interviews you've been doing and uh, breaking news. Very cool on Talking Metal. Cool. Now, what were you going to say before the interview? What were you saying? Okay. Yeah. Now, I- I'm still getting over how cool that interview was, but I wanted to take it back a step and reminisce a little bit of our, our past. Oh, yeah. Remember, a story from the past. Yes. Yeah, a story from the past. And uh, now, I think our listeners will enjoy this. One time back in the old days, Mark and I put on suits, believe it or not. And we went to two places. One was some crazy exclusive bar called Tattoo. Remember that? We put on suits and went. I I can't say that I do. Um, And it was called T-A-T-O-U. It was some exclusive place that somehow I had been to once. And I said, we got to put on some suits and go to this. And this is like, I, I can't even remember what year this was. And then... I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the air, but we went to another bar, and it was the type of bar where you would see people who are dancing on poles and stuff like that. And I believe it was on the west side of Manhattan. And I remember the announcer goes, let's send a Shirley Temple over to that table, because I guess we must have looked really young. Really? Wow. Yeah, wow. and it was what, the west what, side of Manhattan. What club was was that? Scores? Yeah, um, what was it? it? Maybe it was Scores West, but I don't think it was. I think it was even something else. Maybe Stringfellows. And uh, I remember that I knew someone there, and I remember once. Well, there the was West a, Side that wouldn't make sense because Scores was on the East Side. Yeah, there was. See, that was Scores East, and then there was Scores West. But I think it was Stringfellows. I swear to God, this must have been early, 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 like the. Maybe like ninety two or something like that. But but anyway, it's true. Wow. We we went to we went to tattoo. We dressed up in suits, uh, and then we went. And what was to, tattoo? It was just like a like a bar hang. Yeah, no, it was like upstairs. It was like in the fifties on the east side. And I remember you had to like go up to it. It was like. And why were was, we? Who told us about tattoo? Like the, why the were pe- we there? Tattoo. I knew tattoo because a, a cousin of mine. Uh, who was like a businessman, took me there once, and I thought, oh, we got to dress up in suits and go to this, like, exclusive bar where, you know, it's the kind of thing where you'd see, like, Robert Urich and Spencer for Hire go in if he was, like, investigating a crime or something like that. And so me and you go in, and it's right. some, like, high class. But it, it, I don't think anything like that exists anymore, and it, there's, like, no scene for that. It was a scene for, like, you know... Right. Uh, I don't even know what. What do you call that? Like uh, people that I, look. I, like I don't know. Hawk. I mean, it, it's it's. Look! Look these characters up. Talking metal people. Right. Look up Robert Urich, <laughs> Spencer for hire, and then look up Hawk. 
He's uh, Avery Brooks, uh, one of the greatest actors. He used to be the guy in Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, the captain. Remember him? Which which he was guy? Like an African American guy. Deep sometimes Space he was bald. Sometimes. Oh, okay. He, he yeah, was right, like right, the right. head yeah, guy. Yeah, of course, yeah. Of course. yeah. Yeah, I believe Avery Brooks. But but it was the kind of bar where you'd go in and then you know you'd see somebody playing a piano and like uh, you know all kind of high class people. And Mark and I went in there and then we went over to this West Side Strip Club. And uh, I re- just remember we were sitting there, and I didn't. You, you were so smart, Mark. You knew they were talking about us. I'm so stupid. I didn't. They go, "Hey, and we're gonna send." They go, "You know, Heather on the bar stage." Now, but the the funniest thing is that Mark, you you realized that they were talking about us, but I didn't. And the uh, DJ goes, "Okay, right now coming up on the bar stage, we've got Heather, and we're gonna send a Shirley Temple out to the two gentlemen sitting in." Row B or something like that, and 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 you go. I think they're talking about us, but uh, that was when we were very young, <laughs> and I didn't even know what the Shirley Temple I mean, was. I mean, if that was early '90s, it was probably. I mean, we were probably literally in our early twenties. You yeah. know, it's uh, uh, cr- crazy times. I, it, you know, it's it's strange because I I don't actually remember this. You know, and it, it wow. freaks me out a little bit that there's so many. <laughs> memories it sounds familiar what you're saying but i can't actually pinpoint it and say yeah i I remember that exactly but (laughs) it does sound familiar it was a fun night and it was very rock and roll because it was uh the talking metal guys hanging out we uh went to a club and there were girls and uh and it was really a fun night and uh mark and i put on suits so that was a big deal (laughs) nice (laughs) Hey, so we have another guest on tonight's show, Jeffrey Perlin from MIT, who does the heavy metal seminars up there, the history of heavy metal. So we're going to talk to him in just a second, uh, actually a few minutes. But first, I want to thank Jeff Boyles. I think that's how he pronounces his name, B-O-Y-L-E-S. He sent in uh, just a really generous PayPal donation. So Jeff, thank you very much. and. His request is a song that we can definitely play in full for him. It is Turtlehead's cover of the Motorhead classic Overkill. What a what a great tune! It, out of all the songs I've ever recorded, Jeff, that is one of my uh, one of the ones I'm most proud of. And there, you know, we were John and I were a little loose. I think even Portnoy was a little loose. We were all a little loose. There's mistakes happening, but the the energy and the power on this song. You can't deny it. I mean, I, I I really like this song. And a lot of times it's hard for, for me to listen to a song that I've recorded, you know, but this is one I, I really do enjoy listening to. Yeah. Bobby I, Blitz on vocals. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Jeff, thank you so much for that donation. And as Mark said, it was a, an amazing experience. And it is also one of my favorite moments from the Talking Metal TV show. And... I think it's great, despite the fact that there are a few mistakes in it. And Mark knows how particular I am about mistakes. But this one, I didn't care because the power was there and it was just awesome. And the vibe. Yeah, the vibe was there. And when anybody who asks, like, John, what have you done in your life? And comes over to my apartment and says, show me a two minute clip of what you've done in your life. I put that turtle head uh video one yeah it's like you know i fucking jammed with mike portnoy yeah you know exactly i mean it doesn't get much better than that yeah so let's uh let's check that out right now thank you jeff thank you jeff good evening ladies and gentlemen we're turtlehead 
and we play rock and roll.
This is what we call the mid-roll, guys. It's our sponsor, and this is the mid-roll advertisement for them. Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code ROCKON, R-O-C-K space O-N. Squarespace has over 20 highly customizable templates for you to choose from. Squarespace has won numerous awards. They are really critically acclaimed. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website. We want to thank Squarespace for supporting Talking Metal. They are keeping us on air, or I guess we're not really on air. We're on alive, let's just say that. Squarespace is keeping us alive here with this sponsorship. And you need to show them some love by visiting their site, by getting signed up for your own website or online portfolio, and use that offer code ROCKON. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. And by the way, guys, Squarespace recently added e-commerce to their platform. So if you want to set up shop and sell things, you can do that in just a few minutes. If you have a business and you need a website for it, or you want to take your business online, Squarespace are the folks that will help you out. Thanks, Squarespace. Now, back to Talking Metal, episode 457. What you just heard was Mark, John, Frankie uh, Bello, Frankie Bello, Mike Portnoy, and Bobby Blitz doing Overkill, the Motorhead classic. That was great. And you know what's really cool is Bobby had the mic kind of up, kind of how Lemmy did it a little bit. And- that's was right. like doing it up, and uh, it was just great, man. And then we kept getting faster and faster and doing it over and over and over, and it was just a really fun, fun thing. And You know, the crazy thing, guys, is that I initially was supposed to play drums on that, and I said, you know, I, I can play double bass, but that's kind of a tough song. I'd rather play guitar, and let's get somebody else in. And I remember um, Melissa, who was one of our producers, was like, ah, no, you can do it. And then I said, well, listen to the song. And then after she listened to it, she said, uh, yeah, you're right. And then... What just worked out, it couldn't have worked out better, is that we got in touch with Mike Portnoy. He wanted to come down and jam. And then, I mean, what better of a drummer to have than him? No one. And uh, I think it was the right. best. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it, it was the unbelievable. And it was a cool thing. And Mike Portnoy is still super cool. I, I saw him at the uh, uh, thing where Ace and Peter played for Eddie Trunk. It was great. And uh, it was just cool. By the way, Mark, uh, one of, a few of our Talking Metal uh family members have uh, contacted both of us about a little appearance uh, that I did on that metal show. Yeah, I, I got one email from somebody. You heard yeah, from somebody Yeah, I, I heard from a couple of people, and I, I watched it, and uh, uh, there, there's a... The moment everybody's talking about is when they go... Uh, they're talking about the Eddie Trunk birthday bash. bash, And um, they, they say, we got to special guest and ace comes out and when ace walked out i was right behind him nice so that was nice. cool well, our good friend jeff bumgardner produces that metal show 
love Jeff. We have always loved Jeff, and he's such a great guy. And I can't help but think, I haven't confirmed this, but he's the type of guy who sees John and makes sure that he uses the shot that John's in. You know, maybe. Yeah. Which is very cool. Thank you, Jeff, uh, or anybody on the show who had something to do with that. It was very cool. And then, you know what's even wilder is that the old commercial that was for Friday Night Rock Block with me in the astronomy costume also aired during that show. And I didn't even know that was still on the air. That's right. So that yeah. was very uh, cool. You did that a long time ago. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I taped that literally probably like 2006 or something around there. And uh, what's very cool is it's still airing now in 2014. But when I did it in 2006, it was for something different. And then they repurposed that footage. But it shows that, guess what? Who was wearing the helmet? Before and Daft Punk. Suit yeah, before back Daft Punk. Correct. These guys yeah. just won like 80 Grammys and uh, Astronomy. I will say, I do enjoy that. I did enjoy that new, that most recent Daft Punk record. There's a song in there that you got to hear called um, Contact, I believe it's called. And uh, it's the last song on the record. Uh-huh. It's very alien esque. And yeah, it's, it's cool. Oh, cool. I, I got to check that out. I, I heard the, the stuff they did was cool. Today, you know what I was listening to through headphones? Uh, a song called De-Rezzed by Def Punk, which oh, was yeah. from the Tron uh, soundtrack, which was very cool. And you know what's really weird? On my iPad, I, I'm like a synth. I was like one of the first people to have a synthesizer before MIDI even existed. And in 1979, when I was like a little, little kid, um, not that little, but probably like, I don't know, I was born in 69, so I must have been 10. Uh, Korg came out with something called the Korg Delta, and it was one of the first polyphonic synths. Cool. It was pre-MIDI. That means you can press more than one key at the same time. And uh, the brand Korg, however, has put out an app for the iPad, and I forget what the model number it is, but it's like a synth that you can get right on the iPad, and all the patches are there, uh, analog synth. And, I mean, you got to be a genius to work it. I can't work it. And um, some person on YouTube did this song, D-Rez, completely on an iPad. And literally, it sounds like like a professional recording. And you just, if, if you are smart with this keyboard and with this synth and can use an iPad and you're, like, some genius, you can, too, make a record using specifically only an iPad. And, and it's amazing. Cool. So just we'll look do. that up Definitely. on YouTube. Thanks, John. Hey, guys, this is an email, by the way. Hey, guys, been a long time since I wrote, but being that Come Taste the Band is from one of my favorite bands of all time, I thought I would write. Of course, uh, this is John Falk checking in with us again. We haven't heard from him for quite some time, and Come Taste the Band is a Deep Purple record. This album, Come Taste the Band, was a great effort from the band, and continues in the direction that Stormbreaker set them on, which is a little more funky. However, with the addition of Tommy Bolin on guitar, it was their live shows that suffered something terrible. Why? Well, it wasn't that Tommy couldn't handle the solos or music. He could, for the most part. In fact, that Tommy, Nad, Glenn were incredible drug addicts. Glenn loved his cocaine, and Tommy loved his heroin. I have several live shows featuring the lineup. They call it MK4 lineup, and some of them are incredibly awful. This is one 
There is one called Last Concert in Japan, where the first three minutes of the song Burn, Tommy is completely absent. There are several rumors about where he was. That being the worst concert with that lineup, I also have one that is stunning called Take a Russian Fox Bat, where it is alleged that Tommy and Glenn cleaned themselves up a bit and were watching what they took. Eventually, the drugs took their toll again, and the concerts got bad again, and the band broke up. That was incredibly sad, because it would have been interesting to see where the band would have gone after this album. Look where they have gone after Blackmore left a second time and was replaced by Steve Morris. They are still writing some seriously good music, still ripping it up. Anyways, that is my two cents on this incredible album, and it is often overlooked. Keep talking metal, John. Hey, thanks, John. Great email about one of my favorite Deep Purple records, Come Taste the Band. It features Glenn Hughes on vocals and bass, Coverdale, of course, Tommy Boland on the guitar. Wow, very, very cool. What a great email. Thank you for that email, and what a great story. Why don't we get into a little Deep Purple right now, then we'll hear from Jeffrey Perlin from MIT. This is a song called Drifter, written by Tommy Boland and David Coverdale.
Hey, this is Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and checking in with us today, we have Jeffrey Perlin. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. I've been getting your emails, I guess, for a number of years now, and you are teaching a class at MIT on heavy metal, right? Uh, that's correct. It's actually more of a seminar than it is a proper class, but it's been, uh, it's been going on now for, that was the, uh, this is the eighth year that I've done it. Wow. And I guess the first question I have is, is how is attendance and, and how are people really interested in the history of heavy metal? Uh, the, the short answer is uh, attendance is good. And yes, they apparently are. Um, so every year I've told myself that, you know, well, if no one shows up, then I'll stop doing it. But every year I have a, um, I have a full house. And so usually between you know, 20 and 25 people, which is the capacity for the small room that I do it in. And um, yeah, I've actually stopped doing, a, I used to do a lot more advertising on campus to try and uh, drive up numbers, but one year I had about 40-something people show up to fit in that small room, so I've kind of dialed back on the on the uh, local advertising. And, and what kind of people are showing up? Are these all MIT students, or is it open to the public? Yeah, it's... Um, it's supposed to be an MIT-only thing, but I, I'm not strict about that, and I don't turn anyone away. So there are a few people here and there who catch, up, catch on from the outside of MIT, and they show up. Um, but yeah, it's mainly, you know, I get a good mix of undergraduates, graduate students, and even um, staff, uh, employees. I actually had a bunch of um, journalist, uh, science journalist fellows ended up attending this year. And... Is it like when you say seminar? So it's it's covering all genres of of metal in in how many seminars? Is it just one? Well, yeah. I mean, all is a loaded term. I mean, I, I do. It's four seminars, so it's four weeks long, once a week, and I try to give as broad a stroke as possible to expose uh, people to you know the diversity that's out there within heavy metal. So. I try and touch upon, you know, obviously the the most major movements that have happened, but also trying to show people some of the more avant-garde things that have happened along the way. How is it that you're able to do this at MIT? Did you have to go talk to the, the people who run the school and explain to them, hey, this is what I want to do, and how did that go over? No, so actually the way it works is um, the month of January at MIT is something called Independent Activities Period, or IEP for short. And the way it works is any anyone at MIT, whether they're faculty, staff, student, or otherwise, anyone who feels they have an expertise in some field is encouraged to, you know, hold a not non-credit activity, as they're called, um, to share their knowledge with um, with the MIT community. It's supposed to be like, uh, or I guess it was originally intended to be like a decompression period between the end of the fall semester and before the. Um, the uh, spring semester begins to explore things you wouldn't necessarily have time to do otherwise during the course of a regular semester. So there really is no um, no requirement beyond being a member of the MIT community to arrange, organize, and hold your session. Interesting. I, I, I mean, I had the original idea because when I first started working here, there were you know there were people doing like uh, Dr. Seuss readings and Charm School and and things of that nature, and you know they do like a film series on a certain genre or whatever. So I figured, you know, why not let's do this and see if anyone if there's any interest. Right. Cool. Cool. And 
as a fan of heavy metal, what are some of your favorite genres? I mean, we have, you know, everything from black metal to glam metal. What, what are some of your favorites? Right. I mean, at heart, I'm definitely a traditionalist. Um, you know, I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan. They're, they're definitely number one for me. But, you know, I do have very diverse tastes, too. Like, uh, you know, I love the original thrash bands and, you know, that stuff. I'm also a huge fan of Opeth and, you know, so in the melodic death metal and that stuff. So, I, I mean, I do have pretty far-reaching tastes. Cool. And, and what actually, like, what are the other courses and, and classes that you teach at MIT? I don't. So I'm not a, an instructor at MIT. I'm actually a systems administrator in the foreign language oh, okay. department. Oh, okay. But I do have, um, I have a master's degree in history, so it's kind of my my academic upbringing is in, in history and, and that analytic side of things. So that's why I tried to give that presentation onto something that I'm, you know, passionate about as a hobby. What, what do you think about the trend that has come about in, I'd say, like the past 10 years where we're just getting hit like with all these different hard rock and heavy metal books, you know, things that cover the history of of the genre, but also just people releasing their their own story. Like Ozzy released his, his book a number of years ago, and yeah. Paul Stanley has a book coming out, and, uh, you know, Dave Mustaine, I could go on and on and on. Right. I mean, that, that was, those were a couple of the ones that was, actually came to mind. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, those, you know, biography slash autobiography, depending on, you know, how cleanly you look at it with a ghostwriter or whatever, um, you know, th- those tend to me not to be as attractive as a read. I mean, you know, it's they kind of read like soap operas because they are, and they're, you know, they're intended to be, well, they're intending to sell books. Um but, um, but there are, you know, there have been a few books out there that are more focused. I mean, there are very few books, I guess, that are like academically focused on heavy metal. Um, there are a few, but those biography types to me are kind of, you know, they're easy reads and, you know, they have their, their fun and interesting moments, but, you know, you have to, you kind of have to look at them with a, the glass half full mentality about what their motivations are and you know to that end as far as the the history books like Ian Christie has one of the more famous right. ones out there that's what, one of the ones i was thinking of yeah what what are some of your favorite ones besides that one well there was a book by uh is it Robert Wassler from he's a musicologist from UCLA the title of the book is running with the devil and it takes essentially a musicologist look at the foundations of heavy metal, and um, that—that's uh, to me, it's—it's it's very good. Um, it's very good at nailing down exactly what differentiates heavy metal from its forebears or other types of hard rock or rock music. So for me, that—that's one that, and it's—it's it's a very good book, but it's also very accessible. It's not. It's not a dry academic text. He does a very good job with the narrative voice in it, making it come through. Cool. And as somebody who studies heavy metal, you know, you mentioned Iron Maiden. Obviously, they're they're one of the more important bands in the history of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Black Sabbath is obviously right. uh, another obvious one. What are some not so obvious bands that you think are? crucially important to the history and development of heavy metal? Well, I, I think that 
you really touch upon it. It's this notion that there are these pillar bands that everyone knows, right? We all know that there's there's Black Sabbath and that there's Iron Maiden and Judas Priest is in there in between and everyone knows Metallica. Like even my parents know Metallica, right? They don't know anything by them, but they know who they are. And so you know, there's always like whenever there's this development, there's always you know one or two vanguard acts that everyone pays attention to. But there are yeah, you're right. There are these other bands that aren't necessarily as big, but are equally as uh, seminal and important for the bands that come afterwards that are influenced by them. Um, one band that I highlighted that you know, isn't necessarily a heavy metal band, but I highlighted in the in the seminar for the early metal stuff is Deep Purple, right? right. They're not per se a archetypal heavy metal band but what they were doing musically and stylistically was highly influential on what would become you know the new wave of british heavy metal bands like you know iron maiden don't happen without you know the notion of falsetto screams right yeah yeah totally and in a lot of ways i i feel like Purple was almost more influential on the new wave of British heavy metal scene than Sabbath was in some ways. You know, Sabbath. Oh yeah, no, I I would definitely agree with that. Um, it's this notion of pushing the boundaries musically, well, you know, and technically. Whereas you know, Sabbath. I guess one of the ways I described them, they're the juxtaposition of Sabbath and Deep Purple, is you know, working man amateur approach not not to diminish their musical ability but the guys in deep purple took a more professional musician approach you know coming out of the music schools type type of approach where it was you know more technical more thoughtful for the sake of being more technical whereas the you know the deep uh, the black sabbath stuff was you know they were doing their thing and they were great at it but it was really much more of a you know, a, a slower brooding, not nearly as complicated. You know, it, it's complicated in its simplicity, I suppose, is the the way you could put it. But that, for me, is one of the glaring differences between the two. And then once you just take, you know, you take their musical ability. I mean, can you can you compare vocals between Deep Purple and Black Sabbath? And it was in the early days. I mean, certainly uh, for me, it's there's really no comparison. Right. Right. However, I will say that Ozzy back in the day really did have some range. I mean, nothing, nothing oh, yeah. like nothing like Gillen, but I mean, compared oh, to, right. to what he has <laughs> now. But uh, totally, yeah, it's a def- different delivery, right? Yeah. the delivery style was was very starkly different. So going back even like into the '60s, like you know, pre Deep Purple, pre Black mm-hmm. Sabbath, even pre Zeppelin for that for that matter, who are some of the, the bands that you think helped lay the groundwork for what would happen in the 70s with heavy metal yeah. becoming heavy so, metal? So a couple of the bands that I mentioned, and I, 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 this is actually where I started with the history part. I started in the essentially pre-1970 to say, here's, here's where I view the confluence of influences that come about to make heavy metal possible. And so I broke it down into the notion that you have... You have these technological advancements that happen, right? So you have the ability to you know, amplify and play louder, and then you have this whole arms war about bands who are playing loud. So you have bands like you know the Who and the MC5, right, and Blue Cheer that are playing loud, right? And that's one cornerstone to it. But then you also have the the blues hard rock bands, right? So you have you know the Jimi Hendrix Experience and Zeppelin fits in there, but also Cream. 
Right. So those are the, for me, those are the bands that are, you know, those combinations of those different events, you know, fuse themselves into, you know, what becomes, say, Black Sabbath as our, as our Big Bang moment. You know, and you have to consider that Black Sabbath started off playing in that realm of, you know, hard blues also. Right. So that, you know, when they were Earth and their original formation, that they, they had that, that's where they were coming from as, you know, as part of that scene. Totally. And it's, it's funny, you, you mentioned, you said techno, technological developments, right? So you're, you're talking about things like the Marshall half stack, you know, came yeah, about I'm, in that Yeah, I'm talking about yeah, wattage and amplifiers. Yeah, you know? and, and even, you know, one thing that's not talked about much, which I, I'd like to personally learn more about, is, you know, when did the first, like, fuzz box distortion foot pedal come out? I think it was the late 60s, although I'm not sure. Yeah, it's around there somewhere. So, but, I mean, that, but that, that's even another example of it, the concept of a stomp box, you know, uh, um, an instant channel effect that you can run straight from your computer, uh, from your uh, guitar straight through to an amplifier where there's, you know, there's no, you know, there's no back-end production. You know, we think of this now where everything's done digitally. You can just go back and add whatever effect on afterwards. But, you know, it's it's that development and that kind of technology to say, well, yeah, we can... We can make the amps bigger and louder, and then we can play louder. You know, we—it's something we take for granted nowadays. But you know, heavy metal is not possible without electricity and technology. Totally, totally. It's fascinating stuff. I—I I wish I could attend one of your classes. I'm not in the Boston area, right. obviously, but maybe one day I'll get up there. For talking metal listeners that are in in your area up there, how can they find out about these uh, seminars? Well, it happens every January, um, and I do have a website that I put together. The uh, address is metal.mit.edu, and so I have there's a brief uh, history write-up to help try and sort out 40 years of heavy metal in a short-form essay. Um, there's also I've compiled a list of um, you know, essential albums, essential you know, essentially from the dawn of time to the present. And this is this stuff I did as a resource for the people who attend the class because I do have you know a fair balance between diehards and neophytes who attend, and um, you know the people who are new to heavy metal really are kind of overwhelmed by what gets presented. And so I tried to have resources available where they can go and then try and find find their flavor and what they like and take it from there. And do you find like younger kids? attending when i say a younger kid is somebody in their 20s to me or is it yeah <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, yeah i mean I, I do have a fair number of uh undergraduate students who you know attend every year so you know somewhere in the range from 18 to 22 and um but by far the vast majority of people who attend tend to be graduate students um mit obviously has a massive graduate student population uh, that pulls from all over the world. So we do get a fair number of you know, European graduate students and Latin American graduate students who are diehard heavy metal fans. Right. Cool. Well, great stuff. Jeffrey, I got another interview coming up in a few minutes here, so I'm going to have to cut this one short. But I'd love to have you come back at some point in the future, and maybe we can uh, talk more metal history, because I, I love doing it, and I know our listeners like listening to uh, to that type of metal talk, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. I'm always available. Excellent, man. And we're going to link your site through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. And uh, guys, definitely head on over to Jeffrey's site and check it out. I'm going to do the same. I can't wait to see some of your essential albums. All right. Okay, man. Take care.
All right, you too. Bye. just heard was a little classic deep purple speed king john we got to wrap things up yep okay guys i have one more thing that came to my mind during the reading of that last letter and uh mark do you remember a musician he played bass and he was in ozzy's band for a short period of time his name was don costa I'm not super familiar with Don Costa. When did okay. he play with Ozzy? I believe he played around 83. And uh, well, actually, maybe 82. Uh, it says for a few months, one time in 82, and did a few live shows with Ozzy. Um, not really sure of the history, but there was a guy named Don Costa. And for some reason, I could have swore that somebody said he had a cheese grater on the back of his bass and would like cut up his leg or something but uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that but he I laid- did I did hear that I didn't know that was Don Costa or that was like Bernie or me or whatever that other guy's right. name was oh, I okay. wasn't sure who that was but it could have very well been Don Costa who yep. um I know who you're talking about the name right. doesn't ring a bell that much but I it, I I do know that there was a bassist named Don cuz I remember Don Airy Don on the basis it was kind of confusing i don't know if they were in the same the band at the, it's same, the same time, time. yeah but um yeah that that does ring a bell now that you mention it now here's what's weird is that don later went on to form a group like shortly after that called m80 and the guitarist was a guy's name was nicky buzz n-i-k-i or n-i-k-k-i and uh, the reason i remember him is that there was an album cover and it or some type of 
simulated cover. Maybe it was an album cover. Maybe it was just a photo. But it says M80 on the left. Picture of Don Costa with a chain and then Nicky Buzz on the right. And he had, like, dreadlocks or braids. He was an African-American guy with, like, tribal makeup on. And uh, he was apparently the guitarist of the band. And very kind of a cool thing. I remember... uh, hearing about these guys, but I don't think I ever heard their music. And apparently Don Costa at one point was in Wasp. So anyway, this is a uh, a pretty neat wow. thing that if any of the Talking Metal listeners want to research this and get back to us on... Now, how did this letter make you think of this guy? I, you know, we we're t- just talking about the guys in Deep Purple, and uh, just for some reason it, it hit... It just hit me, Don Costa, so I jump on the computer and I punch some of this stuff up. But I just remember Nikki Buzz, and I always thought that, like my friends and I always thought that was a cool name. I think his real name is Daryl Young, but um, it's weird because if somebody would have said a week ago, I name all the bassists that have ever been in Ozzy, I would have not listed Don Costa because I literally had completely forgotten about him. And whatever happened, you know, Pete Way played with Ozzy oh, too. Pete Way from I, I UFO know that. briefly played with Ozzy for toured with him. Oh, I did totally yes. didn't know that. Wow, I think it was when Gillis was in the band. Wow. It's after Rudy quit. A lot of people don't realize that Ozzy continued to tour with Brad Gillis after Rudy Sarto quit, and I believe it was Pete Way came in on bass for like a month or two. Wow, that was like a really strange time in in Ozzy's history just because of who he was playing with and what had happened. And uh, very, very wild. I, I bought a DVD, um, you know, about six months ago, and it was an Aussie show that I believe was an MTV concert. Have you seen that show? Right. Yeah, I have that It was DVD. like a Speak yeah. of the Devils yeah. kind of a time period DVD. Very, very yeah. cool, I thought. Yeah, it was an Irvine. MTV concert, yeah. Irvine, California. Right. I do believe some of the vocals may have been overdubbed. Uh, I was going to say, it sounded so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to say. Definitely, it sounds like they're double the times. But yeah, it's definitely a great watch. Brad Gillis, Rudy Sarzo, you know, shortly after Randy Rhodes died, a great concert. Definitely. I shouldn't say the vocals were overdubbed. That's just, I'm just guessing. Um, Maybe they weren't. Maybe he was sounding perfect. Another interesting tidbit about Ozzy's band at that time, Fred Curry from Cinderella was actually playing with Ozzy for a short period of time. I don't believe they ever played live together, but I do believe he, pre-Cinderella, actually did some rehearsals with Ozzy. Very cool. I never knew that. That That's a great fact. Very, very cool. I don't don't think they ever played live, but I might be wrong. Anyways, let's wrap it up with some Ozzy. What do you want to play? Killer of Giants? Yeah. You know what's funny is before that album came out where Killer of Giants was on, uh, a friend of mine, his name was Ray Kermanic, and he played keyboards in a band that I was in back when we were in high school. He... He said, and I don't know how he heard this, but and he didn't say Killer of Giants. He called it Killer Giants. But before anybody ever knew that song, he somehow, back in Pennsylvania, had heard that there was some kind of song with the names Killer and Giants in it by Ozzy. And I still, to this day, have no idea how, back in Windsor, Pennsylvania, that he knew that. But he did, and he was right. And I thought that was very cool. And here is Killer of Giants off the Ultimate Sin record, 
a song that Ronnie from Red Dragon Cartel told us may be added into the the set list for Red Dragon Cartel when they do their upcoming East Coast tour. We hope it it is added, and uh, wow, such a great song. Anyways, John, I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Mark. Thanks to all the listeners. Thanks to everybody who donated. Make sure you check out TalkingMetalDigital.com, TalkingMetal.com. Check out our Facebook and YouTube pages. Give us a like, and thank you again for listening. Okay. Great, man. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I know it, we're a little loose tonight, but in that whole, all my dumb stories, you can feel free to.
Guys, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Metal. What you just heard was episode 457, and it was brought to you by the great company Squarespace. I personally want to thank Squarespace for their support of Talking Metal. If you want to support what we do, support Squarespace. Go get your website or online portfolio through them. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code ROCKON. It's the place to go for the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week out of New York City. It's just $8 a month, which is, wow, that's, that's great. And that also includes a free domain name when you sign up for a year. Everything is easy. It's all drop and drag. Just add the content from your desktop and re- even rearrange elements of content within the page. You can easily connect your Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all your social networking platforms, Instagram, etc., etc. And, uh, you know, right there on your site, you can add all that stuff. Squarespace makes that real simple to do. Every Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design so that your site will automatically scale to look beautiful on every device. Check them out. We really, really dig in Squarespace and their support of Talking Metal. It's a great company and a bunch of good people supporting what we do. Go support them. Thanks, guys. Have a good night.